0: I'm going to be sharing out of the the Gospel of uh, Mark uh, mark chapter 6 and this passage has kind of re- resonated with me for quite a long time there's a uh, there's a little message in here that is uh, many many times I think the Lord has brought home to my heart and it's kind of I think he's constantly trying to get my attention about uh, about this certain things. so I'm going to go ahead and read mark chapter 6 uh, verse 45 to 52. This is the passage where Jesus walks on water, and also I'm going to be sharing out of uh, John chapter six, I believe, and right around verse ten, and also Matthew chapter fourteen, right around verse twenty. So I'm going to be going back and forth uh, a little bit. So I'm just kind of kind of picking pe- uh, put pieces together to try to try to make sense of this. But I know th- I know the Lord can always always do that. So let me go ahead and read. I'm going to read that in uh, Mark chapter six verses 45. Uh, Jesus walks on the sea. Okay, I don't want to be too close to the uh, microphone here. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him uh, to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. That's something we should always do, depart and go to the mountain and pray. Now, when evening had come, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, uh, Walking on the sea, and he, he would have passed them by. And when he saw them walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked to them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. I'm sorry. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed, amazed themselves beyond measure, and they marvelled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Their heart was hardened. Interesting. Um, give you a little, kind of uh, a little background of what's what's going on here. Uh, and in the beginning of this chapter. In chapter six, in chapter uh, Mark chapter six, Jesus goes. He goes to Nazareth, to his his own hometown. And if you know that little story, it's where a prophet is not welcome is not welcome in his own hometown. So Jesus is rejected in his home, his own hometown. Then a little further um, in Mark, he finally gets his disciples together. And in in verse chapter seven, Mark six verse seven, he calls his disciples together and he sends them out two by two. So he's actually in the process of preparing his disciples, and what does he do? He turns them into apostles. You know, an apostle is one who is sent. So right away, I, I read uh, s- several of his scholars had said this is about the, the last, or this is the last year of, of the ministry of Christ. This is a year before he's crucified. So this is the final year of his ministry. So he's really trying to work with his disciples and prepare uh, prepare them for the work at hand. So he sends them out two by two. As, as the nerves um, subside there, and a little further on we read uh, John the Baptist is beheaded. So now he sends his disciples out two by two. So his disciples are pretty excited and they're really anticipating, you know, what what they've done. It says they performed a lot of miracles and a lot of great things had happened. But all of a sudden they get this 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 real sad news that John was beheaded, and now the disciples are beside themselves. They're really saddened in grief. They're dealing with a lot of grief at this time. So this is, you know, the the uh, disciples are dealing with a lot of emotion, from one extreme to the other. They're dealing with uh, anticipation, excitement. All of a sudden, uh, fear and and all kinds of stuff is going on inside. Then all of a sudden, um, a little later on, uh, Jesus, Jesus actually wants to take his disciples away to a mountain by themselves, where he can, you know, he can. They haven't had anything to eat. He wants to spend some time with his disciples, to, you know. Uh, Refill them up to, you know, restore them. You know, they're emotionally spent uh, right about now. But just before that happens, a crowd of people, a crowd of multitude, gathers around Christ. And we're looking about verse 30. And all of a sudden, a large crowd gathers. And all of a sudden, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And again, another great miracle has happened. And now the disciples are dealing with amazement and astonishment. And I, I just can imagine the, uh, the extreme of emotions going through the, the disciples. A lot of times with me, I go through all kinds of emotions on a daily basis. And it's kind of, I wonder why sometimes. Okay, now getting, uh, starting with the, uh, verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples uh, get into the boat and go before him. And that's rather odd, rather interesting. Why would he, you know, they just fed 5,000 and they're exhausted, all the commotion, all the people, all the crowds. And he, he immediately compels them or immediately makes them get into the boat to go to the other side of the lake. And I, I read that and I was like, wow, why, why? that's kind of odd. So, uh, you know, being a, a Bible student, I, did, I went to Bible college, not that I'm a scholar, but I did go to Bible college. And I, at least I have the tools to hopefully try to use. And if you look at the, the Greek word... Uh, there's a Greek word, then he immediately made him. The Greek word is anagatso. Anagatso. It's rather odd. It, it has, the, has the meaning of a necessity, of need, like urgent need. Like, okay, guys, you got to get out of here now. I'm not only going to make you get into the boat, but you got to get in the boat and go to the other side. Like, now, let's go. I'm like, that's rather odd. I, I, I thought, I'm thinking, what, in today's world, how can I compare this? And I'm just thinking, if I'm young about 10 years old and, I, and the bus is waiting out front and the old man comes and wakes me up. Boy, he better! <laughs> the bus is out there. Get out there now. I'm like, oh, okay. And I have no time to get ready, but I have to get on the boat or get on the bus, I, I should say. So that's rather odd. And I just kind of I, I kind of wondered at that. But a, a couple of the scholars, they, they explained, I'm going to go back to John chapter 6. And they want to jump around and try to follow the logic of this. I don't know if you can follow the logic. But in John uh chapter Six at the uh Jesus walks on the water starting verse uh fifteen okay see he was about to take him by force okay in uh John chapter six verse fifteen in the crowds of people when they realize the miracle of the of of the bread john six fifteen he says Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again up to the mountain by himself. You know, uh, Jesus perceived in himself that the crowd was so excited that he just fed 5,000 people. They were getting all the uh, messianic fervor. They wanted to grab him by force and make him king. And Jesus knew that. He, in fact, he knows everything. You know, praise the Lord about that. He knows when I'm coming and going and what I'm thinking. You know, and everything. So he perceived the crowd was gonna take him by force. So a couple of the scholars they thought that well maybe Jesus wanted to get the disciples in the boat and get away from the situation. He didn't want them to get caught up in the messianic fervor of all the commotion what's going on. But that that doesn't seem to be the case. I mean I'm sure they um, Jesus was concerned about that, but that didn't seem to be the case. In fact, uh Jesus let me go back in uh John six I'm still in John six fifteen. He said he departed to the mountain by himself alone. So he, he dispersed the crowds, he sent the crowds away. Then it goes on to say, Now when evening came his disciples went down to the sea. That's in John chapter sixteen. So but later that evening the disciples went down to the sea. So they didn't seem to be caught up in the fervor of, of the crowd, you know, trying to get a hold of Jesus and force and make him king. So I don't think Jesus was concerned about the disciples getting caught up in that. So why would, you know, why would Jesus immediately make his disciples get into the boat? Why was there such an urgency in that? Well, I think maybe there's something more to the maybe there's something more to it. Maybe there's a purpose or a reason for that. You know, if we go on, okay, I'll go back to Mark chapter 6. Why did he compel the disciples to get into the boat that fast? You know, I kind of, I wrestled with that. And if we go on, let me go ahead and read, go back to Mark chapter 6 real quick. And take a look at that. Matthew, Mark, I lost my spot. Okay. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. I'm back in Mark. 645 to Bethesda while he sent the multitude away a little side note there sometimes Jesus has, has to send the crowd away and sometimes I feel bad if, if Jesus sends me away but there's always a reason for that he, he just fed me um, hopefully I'm filled with his, with his uh, healing, his restoration filled with his word and he sends me away why, do, why would he send me away? Well, hopefully to tell someone about him and what he's done you know, Christ is always doing great things to me. And he always wants me to share that with others, to tell others about that. And also, if he sends me away, that's a good thing because I know he goes with me. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I, was, I will always be with you. So that's just a little side note there. But then immediately, I, 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 love, I love how this, this plays out. And when he had sent them away, he departed to a mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And then he saw them strain, straining at rowing, or I uh, like the NIV said, they're straining at the oars. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's interesting. You know, it seems like he's trying to do something here, trying to do it. There's a great reason or a great purpose for that. He's, he's standing on land, and he's actually see, he sees the disciples. He act, actually sees them straining at the oars. And it says to them, he comes to them later on that the next evening, or the fourth the fourth watch of the night. If anybody was in the military, you know, ever stand watch at the fourth watch of the night, you know what time that is? That's about five or six or seven o'clock the next morning. So he sends his disciples on the boat early that evening, you know, about six o'clock the previous evening. Then he's, he's watching them straining at the oars for about 10 or 12 hours. That's a long time, you know, straining at the oars. And the Greek word there for straining at the oars, excuse me, is basanizo, basanizo. And it basically has, it, it has a, a real deep meaning to it. It means uh, pain and torture, like, uh, like total torment. These guys are straining at the oars in pain and torment and torture for like 12 hours, And we get the word for base, like a debasing, like a base, like the base of a flower pot or the base of the foundation here. And I'm thinking, now he wants to work something in them to get them to the bottom of something. He's really trying to do a work in them. And it just kind of struck me, you know, the Lord's always trying to, you know, work in me to get me to the bottom. And when I'm at the bottom, what do I do? Hopefully I'll look up. And I'm like, why does, he's doing such a, such a, a deep work in them, I, it, it kind of poses the question, I want to say, why? Why is the Lord doing such a great work? Or why is the Lord allowing the disciples to strain for 12 hours at the oars? And they're really in pain and torment and, and suffering almost. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I kind of bids the question. I had a, uh, a physics teacher in, in college. He would also, you know, you know, lay out these theories or these great ideas. And he, and he, he would always say, well, let's oppose this. But he trying to get like an opposing point of view to try to try to make sense of 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 what was uh, going on. So I think Jesus is trying to do something here in his disciples, and I kind of yeah I kind of look at the mirror and I kind of like what's he trying to do with the disciples? Were they is he trying to test them? Is it a trial? Is it is it a test? And if we go back, I'm not going to turn back. If you go back to John chapter six again. And in the, in the parallel passage, when Jesus is feeding 5,000 people, or he's getting ready to feed them, he poses a question to Philip. He said, Philip, he says, where can we get enough bread to feed these people? Where can we buy enough bread? And it says in there, uh, he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus already knew that what he was going to do. But he challenged Philip with that idea. Like, Philip, do you, do you know what you're going to do? But he says in there in that verse that he said this to test He was trying to test Philip about what he was going to do. Then he went ahead and he fed the five thousand people. But here in Mark chapter uh, six, he allows the disciples to strain at the oars for like twelve hours. And I kind of ask the question, why? (laughs) You know, is there something that they're struggling with? Is there something that they're just not getting? Uh, You know, is there something that they need to understand? I just I don't get it. And I I love the uh the Bible is the greatest commentary uh of itself. It explains itself. So if we go down to Mark uh six, verse fifty-two, what does Mark uh six fifty-two say? Re- I'm again I'm reading out of the uh New King James. Mark six fifty-two said, For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Ooh, that's hard. In other words, the Greek tense here is they were slow to understand. They were slow to perceive. They just didn't get it. What, what didn't they get? The miracle of the loaves. They just went out two by two and they performed so many miracles and they went from town to town proclaiming the gospel and they were healing the sick and performing miracles. They did all that and they still couldn't get get the miracle of, of the loaves. They just didn't get it. They um, they had a dull sense. Uh, you know, there's... Uh, in, in sense, insensible or insensitive in their head, they just didn't get it. And it goes on to say that they were either unwilling to believe, or they just they couldn't commit to the truth. And I, one of the scholars kind of laid it out, and he was saying that they were sl- they were very slow they were very slow to perceive, very slow to understand. Basically, they just didn't get it. You know, they in the Lord's presence for two and a half years now, and they still didn't get it. And I. I <laughs> how many times I go to bed every night and I wake up every morning and how many trials I go through, especially at work. At work, there's a guy who's always trying to get into arguments with me about everything. (laughs) And I think the lesson is if you pray for patience, you'll just get it. So I think the Lord pushes this guy right in front of me so I'll I'll learn that lesson, but I never get it. I always, I I never get it. I was like... (laughs) You know how many times I—I'm I'm so dull and senseless, just like the the apostles are, or the disciples in this in this uh, in the scene, or the scene when they're on the sea. And it took them 12 or 14 hours to row when the waves are against them. And I think what what practical illustration, what picture of that, of of the disciples? It says the winds were against them, and Matthew and Mark says the winds were contrary, the waves were against them. And the picture I see is. Every year in Atlantic City and Ocean City, they have the, uh, the lifeguard uh, tournaments or uh, the competitions where they row the boats. And if you ever, I was never a lifeguard, but I was in the Navy, had to row the small boats. And know, the waves are coming at you. They're four, five, six feet high, some of them. And you can't, you can't go into a wave sideways. You'll just knock you over. You're supposed to go you know perpendicular right into the wave and, and break the crest of the wave and go over it like that. So, can imagine being a lifeguard in Atlantic City, you know, racing or rowing against the current coming in for 12 straight hours. I, <laughs> that must hurt, you know. And so, I guess there's, there's, there's a, a process involved. You know, the Lord, sometimes it takes time to break you down. And that, that concept is, I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to go to James chapter 1 real quick. James, there's a great verse in James chapter 1. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, I would highly recommend it. I I say that to myself because I need to underline this verse. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 4. It said, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, that trial, that, that process, that breaking process that you're going through (laughs) let it happen let that job have its let it let it perform its work that needs to be done so how many times the lord's trying to do a work in me and i don't let him i don't do it my way or no i like this way better you know how many we all they call it you know mental gymnastics we all do that on a daily basis but sometimes the lord has to get our attention and keep us there and let him do that work in us to break us you know, whatever that is, you know, you're struggling with a, a temptation, a, a sin, and we're all struggling with something, you know, and, uh, you know, let him do that work. But sometimes you, you, we have to stay there and let that work be complete until it's done. And sometimes it could take a while. It could take a week. It could take 12 hours of severe pain and heart heartbreak and suffering. Sometimes it could take years. And I, I, I one of my favorite lessons in life, I'm still learning this, but, my mom got married in, um, again, 1981, '82, sometime, uh, sometime. I didn't like this guy. In fact, I didn't like him at all. <laughs> in fact, I didn't care for him at all. I didn't like this guy, my stepfather, Brad. And my way of escape was I joined the Navy, in 1982, I joined the Navy. 83, I was in boot camp. I'm good. I'm away from home. I, that was my escape. I left home. I joined the Navy. My brother joined the Navy a year before. He was telling me stories about the travel and the and the training and the and the vacation, the fun you have. I was gone. What do you know? I I ran into more guys that were meaner and nastier and uglier than my than my stepfather. Over a several year period, talk about a humbling experience. When I got home. You know, I could I could not only tolerate Brad, but I could deal with him. He wasn't that bad. <laughs> it's amazing what boot camp in a few years in the service will do. And still so him and I so years later Brad and I could actually go out and play golf. I still didn't I still didn't you know put up with his jokes and his, his bannering. But I it's part of but I, I did. And it's a process. And sometimes a process of you know, I think the Lord was saying, George, I want you to love the guy. You may not like him, but I want you to love him. When in Christianity, we have to like him as well. I so, said, Lord, I don't like the guy. But over time, many years, I learned to love him. I didn't, I didn't want to. I didn't feel it, but I, it was a commitment. I, I loved him. And later on, he, he, he passed away. He had a stroke. But I had chances. To, I don't know if he really accepted the Lord, but I had a chance to pray with him on, on several occasions, and especially pray with my mom during, during that time. And it was, it was tough. We all go through times like that. So there's, there's a process involved. And obviously, uh okay, I'm gonna go back to Mark chapter eight. I think this is this is really important what the what the Lord wanted to hammer home and wanted to get to get into the disciples. They just didn't get this. Go back to chapter eight real quick. Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight. That's John. And I think that uh Disciples, this is a little further in the future. I'm going to read a few verses here, Mark chapter eight. But the disciples, obviously, they didn't quite get the lesson totally. They didn't get it yet. And I think, I think the Lord is is using another, another experience, another account, uh, another instance of this to let them know, you know, what they're what they're not getting. Okay, Mark chapter eight, verse eleven. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, with Jesus, seeking seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, assuredly I say to you, no sh- no sign shall be given this generation. So apparently what happens, he just fed 4,000 people right before this in Mark chapter 8. Now the disciples, they, they approached Jesus, I mean the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they 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 try to corner corner Jesus, they try to they pin him aside and try to test him. They're always trying to, to corner Jesus and test him. And you know, Jesus knows what they're up to. So he he goes back, he left them alone in verse thirteen, and he left them getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten, this is interesting, the, the disciples had forgotten to take a loaf of bread with them. They did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then Jesus charged them saying, Take heed and beware of the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees, or the or the leaven of Herod, Herod. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is warning the disciples, beware of the yeast, the leaven of the Pharisees. We know that leaven or yeast it, re- it represents false teaching, heresy, false teaching. So he's trying a, t- a teachable moment here. He's trying to tell the disciples and the Pharisees, Beware of these guys. Don't listen to the Pharisees. You know, f- you know, focus on me. So I love what the disciples do here it reminds me of of myself so much and the disciples they reasoned amongst themselves I'm I'm still in Mark uh, 16 and they reasoned among themselves saying it is because that we have no bread but Jesus being aware of it said to them "Well, the disciples are saying we forgot the bread we left it on shore so we, we forgot lunch now we have nothing to eat so now what do we do so the disciples are worried and getting all worked up about having nothing to eat yet Jesus is, tr- is trying to teach them a different truth I love what Jesus says here in, v- in Mark 8 verse 17 but Jesus being aware of this he said to them why do you reason because you have no bread did you not yet perceive nor understand is your heart still hardened Have your, having eyes do you, do you not see having ears do you, do not, you still do not hear and do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of fragments did you take up? And they said, oh, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for 4,000, 4, how many large baskets of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So I said to them, how is it that you still don't understand? You still have no understanding. You know, I, I look at myself and uh, <laughs> how many times do I hear it? I get the message, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. How many times does it the Lord have to use his times of, of learning, of training, of breaking? You know, how many? And I still don't get it. Well, I think, I, I love how the Lord, the, the Lord is a great physician. And I love how the Lord, and let's go back to Mark chapter 6. This is how the Lord deals with his uh, disciples. The great physician is going to do a couple interesting things here. And I think it's so important, this lesson he's trying to get through the disciples' heads. He really wants them to get it. Look, if you guys are going to be the 12 disciples to carry on the ministry about what I did, it's very important that you get this one thing. What one thing is that? That you believe that I am the Son of God. I I am the Messiah. That's the lesson he wants them to really get ingrained in their hearts. I want you to believe me, that I really am who I say I am. And it's interesting how... How the Lord uh, accomplishes that. The great physician. First of all, um, going back to Mark chapter 6. The great physician. Oh, Mark chapter 6 here. The great physician. I think he starts off by using a little physical therapy. (laughs) The great physician. In verse 47... um, Back in March 6, verse 48. He saw them straining at the oars, straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Sometimes I need that breaking, that physical therapy. I need to be broken. And we all all get dealt with in different ways. We're all at different levels or different places. So the Lord may use different means or varieties to get our attention. Some things may work for you. They don't work for me. Some things work for me. I usually have a bigger two-by-four over me than... You may have a smaller 2x4, but anyway, we're all, we're all different. We're all different places, levels of faith, levels of trust. So uh, the Lord uses physical therapy. But then he, uh, he also uses physical therapy. He also uses the uh, shock treatment. I love the shock treatment. What does he do? A little further on, he sees them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch at night, he came to them walking on the sea. He would have passed them by. But when he saw them walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they saw him there, terrified, they were troubled. A little shock therapy. If I was in the boat and I saw the Lord walking on, walking on the water, hopefully I would, I would be. I don't know. I, am not there, but I, I'd be surprised. I'd be amazed. I'd be fearful. I'd be. Hopefully, the, hopefully they would get it. They would get it. it, it well, they still, they, didn't, they still didn't seem to get it. But I love what the Lord does. You know, being the great physician, now he uses a little brain surgery here. He gives them the word, it's him himself. He goes on in verse 50, For they all saw him, they were troubled. But immediately he talked with them, and he gives them words of comfort, words of hope. That's what the Lord is. He's the, uh, the word of life. The word became flesh. He talked with them and said, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Sometimes greatest the greatest thing I need is a word from the Lord or I need to hear from him. And you know, for me, I have to daily get in the word to hear what he's saying to me. You know, it's a daily thing. It's it's, it's not a daily it's consistency too. Every morning when I you know, I don't have the quiet time, or I don't spend time in the word. I I know it, I feel it, I sense it. But when I'm taking the time to really soak up and absorb the word and really try to meditate on it and chew chew the fat so to speak. I love them the Psalms. In the Old King James and the Psalms, if you read, there's a little word. It's uh, Selah, on the side of the Psalms. You know, stop, stop and think about it. You know, you read a Psalm, stop and think about it. Meditate, meditate on it. You know, the word. It's so it's so important to get it ingrained in us, digested, and really, really. You know, when uh, a cow regurgi- regurgitates its its cud, they so to speak. I get the word up and out, and I get it get it on my tongue, and I can use it. But if it's not there, I can't use it. So it's it's important. So he speaks the word to them, and they really they really take it in and uh, hear it. And so I, I, I thought that's uh, pretty amazing. But anyway, so he he does all this to get the he works with the disciples, A little physical therapy. I mean, they go through a physical a physical trial there. He appears to him. He walks on water, and he speaks the word to him. So I. I want to ask the question, is this really having an effect? Are, are the disciples getting it? You know, I look at myself, George, are, are you ever going to get it? You know, I, uh, praise the Lord, that life is a process. It takes time. It's a process. And uh, let, me, let me go back to um, uh, Matthew chapter 14. And I want to ask the question, are the disciples getting it? Matthew chapter 14. Uh, verse 33. This is the same story, but from a different uh, perspective. In Matthew 14, verse, uh, verses I think 20, 22 to 33. This is the same account, but Peter actually walks on water here. So that you know, you know what happens in, in that case. Peter takes his eyes off the Lord. He begins to sink. He quickly cries out. The Lord grabs him and picks him up, and kind of he scolds Peter. Says, so "You have little faith. How come you didn't uh, believe?" But I love. The results, Jesus is starting to see some results here. In Matthew 14:33, then he says, those who were in the boat came and worshipped worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. This, the uh, disciples are starting to get it. You know, a storm at sea, him walking on the water, they're starting to see the picture. They're starting to get it. You know, I, with myself, if I could only start to get it. <laughs> can tell more stories well I, I don't want to go there but that's they're starting to get it and it's a sign because they acknowledge him and they confess him as the son of God and it's so key the, the foundation the foundation of it I want to acknowledge and accept Christ as the son of God as the Messiah and that's the foundation that's the key to all things or you know the key to the, the Christian life and, and his, his ministry what he's done okay now I want to go back to this is so cool how these the gospels kind of put the story together i'm going to go back to john chapter 6 again and look at a, uh, one verse in john chapter 6 john chapter 6 again this is the same uh, the same account the same story but listen listen to verse 20 and 21 listen to what happens this is the same account from john's perspective john chapter 6 verse 20 and 21 but then he said to him as he walked on the water, "It is I. Do not be afraid." Okay, verse 21. This is so, this is so cool, so uh, crucial. Then they were, they were, then they willingly received him into the boat. They finally got to that point where they were willing. They were willing to receive him into that boat. How long will it take me where I'm really willing, willing and wanting and <laughs> accepting? It took them a while, but they finally got it. They were willing to accept him into the boat. And listen, I love what this says here. And immediately the boat was was at the land where they were going. As soon as Jesus is in the boat, not only does it get to their final destination, but it, it, their exact destination. But it gets there immediately. And I just, I just it's, it's just amazing when you know Christ is in total control. If, if I, if I let Him control my life and really trust Him that He is in control, I will get there where I'm supposed to be, and I will be in the right place I'm supposed to be. It's. Why do I make things so difficult? <laughs> oh, well, I can. That's, I get the head in the way. I get myself in the way. Sometimes I get my tongue in the way. I get my tongue wrapped around my eye tooth, and I can't see what I'm saying half the time. But that just. Uh... Anyway, I love what he does here. And, 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 the, and the cool thing is, I'm going to go ahead and... and I'm going to go back to the Old Testament real quick. I love that because the boat is now immediately at the other side with their destination, and it's where they want to be. So they're safe and sound where they want to be. And would you believe this whole story about the disciples straining at the the oars, Jesus walking to them, um, then he gets into the boat, he speaks words of encouragement to them. Would you believe this is prophecy from the Old Testament? And I was reading a Psalm 107. I'm going to go there real quick. I'm going to read a few verses out of Psalm uh, 107, verses 22 to 30. Verses 23 to 30. I'm going to go ahead and read that. There's a few verses in there. It'll take a minute. But I'm just thinking that this, is, this whole account, this whole story is so prophetic that Jesus actually knew it was going to happen. He knew his disciples were going to go through this, and he knew the outcome. You know, if I can only apply that little bit of logic to myself, Jesus knows where I'm at. He knows what I'm doing. He knows what tomorrow tomorrow holds. He knows everything. I can. I, I should be able to rest in that. You know, He's got my back. He's got my front. He knows the path where I'm going. He knows everything. And it's. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, a few verses of Psalm chapter 107. And just listen. Just listen to the uh, verses. You'll be amazed when I first read this and I put it all together or the Lord helped me uh, put it together it it just kind of blew me away I should have had this I know should have had this page mark, marked off okay I'm going read Psalm 107 starting in verse 23 through 30 Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on the great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down against the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble, and they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits ends well the disciples they were at their wits ends then they cry out to the lord in their trouble he brings the, he brings them out of their distresses he calms the storm so that its waves are still then they are glad because because they are quiet so i love the end of verse 30 so he guides them to their desired haven he finally guides them to their desired haven and i just if that isn't john chapter 6 you know the Lord he's in, he's in the boat he's in control I finally let go I finally surrender it takes a breaking process I need to be totally broken you know at, at, at a base like he's talking about so I finally look up I finally surrender and the, then the sea is calm and I'm finally there and the job is done I finally reach the you know, reach the reach the end of the shore reach the shoreline and I'm safe I can walk I, I can walk again the storms uh, it's finally over well, we still have the life to live. <laughs> it's not over yet. But, but thank you know, praise the Lord. We have His promises, and you know we have His hope, and you know we have His presence with us. And if I can only let the physician do that work in me that needs to be done, you know, physical therapy, you know, brain surgery, you know, shock therapy. You know, I, you know, we can play with words all we want, but you know, only Christ is the one that can really do that work to change me where I need to be. It, it's a process. It really is. But when I know he's fulfilled in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I, I know he can do that in my life if I just you know, learn to you know let go and, and, and trust him uh, all the more. So anyway, I'm gonna stop right here. So I, I recommend for a good uh, good devotional time this week, go back and read that passage in John chapter six again and read Psalm one oh seven and just compare Everything that happens, it's, it's just amazing how the Lord fulfills it all and all has a great, a real happy ending as He guides them to the shore. So let me go ahead and pray and I'll, I'll close.